Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Christian Giordano, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thank you for having me. Driven by a quest of disruption with 25 years of experience, Christian Giordano, the anti-architect, is reimagining the building industry with a progressive approach as president and majority owner of Mancini Duffy, a New York City-based architecture and design firm. Real Estate Weekly noted Giordano came to the 100-year-old firm with a vision to modernize the company, leaving any idea of a stuffy architecture outpost behind. To redefine Mancini as a top design firm Christian has sparked industry-wide change, drawing inspiration from some of the forward, tech-forward companies Mancini works with, like Peloton and Disney and Verizon, Soho House, and others, focusing on technology that can propel the world of design. Um, and so this is, uh, this is going to be a very interesting conversation, Christian. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I'm a fan of Mancini Duffy for a long time. Why, even, thank you. <laughs> even through our architecture school, I was following what was happening over there. Uh, it has lots of history, and it's exciting to see where it's going now uh, with your leadership and, and uh, others. And so I'd love to have that conversation, talk a little bit about the history and, and talk about where, where it's going, what you're doing today and where it's going. But before we do that, I want to know more about you <laughs> specifically. I want to know your origin story as an architect. When did you discover your passion for architecture and who or what inspired you to become an architect? Yeah, awesome. So again, thank you for having me. This is I've been looking forward to this conversation for for a while as I've Great. been listening to your podcast as well. I'm I'm impressed. So um, yeah, I mean to go back to kind of when you know what inspired me to be an architect. I don't know if there was one moment. Um, I just kind of always knew. I think I went from you know as a childhood wanting to be you know the typical things like a farmer or a police officer. Um, to very quickly wanting to be an architect. And I, I, I kind of try to find the origins of that. And it has a lot to do with my mother. Um, you know, my mother was, my mother knew design a little bit. She was in the finance world, but she knew that she liked a little bit different of design as opposed to, let's say, everyone on the block, right? She wanted a more modern aesthetic. And it was very difficult for her to find that, especially in, you know, the 80s. 
where we lived in New Jersey. And so she was constantly renovating our house and we had contractors in all the time. Um, you know, and it was things like lofting ceilings and putting in skylights and random things like that or redoing the kitchen and always searching for a very streamlined, you know, what, what, what we would consider to be, a, you know, a classic modern design. Um, and I, I really enjoyed watching that process and watching the contractors as a little kid. And from there, I started like most architects building, you know, with Legos. And then eventually it became balsa wood, uh, building dollhouses for cousins and things like that. And, and that evolved actually quickly into more uh, mechanical things like remote control cars and helicopters, um, things that I, when I look back today, th those were, those were very akin to what we do now at Mancini Duffy, sort of the more technical aspects of, of, of mechanisms and motors and, and stuff like that and, and, and moving that forward. So it's, um, I really think that's where the origins ultimately came from. New Jersey. Where in New Jersey? So I'm from Middletown, New Jersey. Um, so it's a Jersey Shore town, you know, yeah. Bruce Springsteen country, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I grew up there. I uh, went to high school there. Ultimately, I went to college at the University of Miami uh, for uh, their architecture school there uh, and then went to uh, UCLA for graduate school, uh, where I studied with Frank Gehry, worked a little bit with Tom Main at Morphosis. Um, so kind of got that superstar architect thing out of my, you know, <laughs> figured, figured all that out and, you know, got it out of my system. So did you come back to the East Coast to be with family or you just, you wanted to be in New York? So, yeah, I, I worked when I was in Miami, I worked for a firm called Swanky Hayden Connell Architects. It was a big New York City firm, but they had a small outpost in Miami and I did an internship. I had a professor that worked there. So I would do internships there and I worked sort of odd days at school or, or nights or whatever it might be to try and make a little extra money. And I had met Richard Carlson, who was one of the primary owners of Swanky Hayden Connell. He spent time in Miami and we hit it off. And he had said to me one day, well, if you ever want to, if you ever move back to New York City, you know, there's always a place for you at our firm there. And I, that sort of stuck in my head somewhere. And I moved on, went to graduate school at UCLA. I loved graduate school. I loved living in Los Angeles, but I knew probably within the first 10 minutes that I would not be living on the West Coast for my entire life. <laughs> um, I, I, I loved it all, but I hated being there. I, I can't describe why or, or, or what. Some people love it. Um, I'm just an East Coast kind of person. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm not even understanding what that really even means, but it, it's there. Uh, and so when I finished graduate school, I knew I wanted to move back and get a job in New York City. And I called Richard Carlson. And, you know, now two years later, or two and a half years later, whatever it is, and he was very nice to take the call. And I think he was pretending that he knew who I was, and that he had made this sort of weird promise that I could have a job. Uh, but they were busy at that time. And it all worked out. And I ended up that was my first job, Swanky Hayden Connell, right in Soho in, in New York City. And then, so what was your, what was your path from there to where you, where you started with Mancini? Yeah. So I worked at Swanky for a number of years. Uh, that's what we called it, Swanky. I actually met my wife there, um, which was great. A bunch of people had met their, their now wives there. Um, this is now going 20 plus years ago. And I worked for um, one of the design directors, this, this fellow by the name of Howard Leist, um, was a, a very good design director, worked at Swanky, worked at Gensler for some time, and then moved over to HLW International, a large New York City firm. They've got offices in London and LA and China. And we, I, he had, he'd gone there and he essentially recruited me to come over to HLW. And I was, I loved HLW. They, you know, they do sort of mega work, um, which is really where I cut my teeth and really learned how to be an architect. And, and for me specifically, the design track, I, I took a, you know, a very design focused route uh, where I, I realized probably within the first, let's say five years of my career that I was not, I was an okay technical architect. I could do it. I could do drawings. I could do technical drawings. 
but boy, did it bore the heck out of me. Um, I just, I wanted to be on the front lines. I like design. I like the client interaction. I would force myself into client meetings and to their credit, they would let me. And I liked that. I liked that sales side of things in a sense, selling your design, selling yourself. Um, obviously that becomes key later on in my career. Um, and as I progressed, I kind of moved up through the ranks at HLW over a period of, of you know, 12 plus years and ended up running the design department there, the architectural design department. I worked on a good variety of projects from, you know, ESPN, building buildings for them to you know, a lot of broadcast facilities or residential towers or and then doing uh, work in China. So I, I worked a lot in Shanghai, China. We really kind of all sh took shifts going over for three weeks or a month, and um, it was a lot of fun. And it was before I had kids, so it, it, it worked out quite well. My wife even came a few times. And we built that practice, the sort of dual practice, utilizing the Shanghai office and the New York office, and we built a design studio out of that. And that, that went really well. I, again, continued to work my way up, ultimately, to running the, the New York office. Uh, for HLW. And somewhere along the line, um, I had no intention of leaving. I still have very good friends there. I very much respect that firm, although I do enjoy, you know, beating them at some projects uh, <laughs> when we go up against one another. And um, so I got a call from someone that I had worked with a project management group. I had done a building for HBO and we had really hit it off. And he said, hey, listen, I have a friend uh, who retired from his firm uh, in 2007, and this was around 2012. And he's looking for a guy, you know, in his early 40s. I think I was just about to turn 40 around then. And he needs someone to come over and kind of reinvent um, this firm. And I said, okay, I, I guess I'm interested in meeting him. Sounds interesting. And, and so you they didn't, set up. You didn't a, know who it was? Didn't know who it was. He wanted to keep it super quiet. And I went and I met Ralph Mancini. And when I met Ralph, Ralph was like no, was like no other uh, person I had ever met, really. I mean, extremely dynamic guy. He was all, uh, he was really a people person. I mean, he, the way he ran Mancini Duffy was truly just relationships and motivating people. Uh, he didn't, you know, I guess it was less of a thing at the time, but he didn't respond to emails. He just took phone calls. He didn't spend his time doing paperwork or, you know, kind of any of the things that I, I do now and, you know, what most, most do as business owners. He walked around. I mean, he didn't even have a desk. He would just walk around the office and sit next to whoever, chat with them. What are you working on? He would go visit his clients. That's all he did. Go to job sites. He just moved around and around and kind of got himself out there to, to see what was going on. And when I met him, you know, he said, look, uh, our Mancini Duffy is, uh, you know, he had, he had actually already left Mancini Duffy. Um, there were some folks here at the firm that it was carrying on, but they were starting this process of looking for what sort of what is the next thing for them. And that process started down with me meeting um, Tony Sharippa and Dina Frank, who were the owners at the time of Mancini Duffy. And we got together. I think the first time I kind of rejected their offer and said, I really wasn't ready for this. I wasn't interested. Um, but the we continued talking. And, and when it ultimately panned out, it was the offer was, you know, hey, you know, Christian, you can come here. Um, this can be your firm one day. And you can, from day one, start to change the way and the culture and the way we, we do business, if you think you can do that. And I was, um, I was very intrigued by that. And I think, you know, I had always toyed with going out on my own, being my own firm. And this really was sort of a starting on third base version of that, right? I mean, the name Mancini Duffy is well known. It's a New York City institution. So this gave me that leg up that, you know, I, I wouldn't have had. I mean, I don't think we would have accomplished would have accomplished what we have so far if we didn't have that name of Mancini Duffy behind us. When you when you went to Mancini Duffy, was it did you understand that this was a position that you were going to take that you were going to ultimately end up in the role that you're in now? Or was that just a possibility? It was I knew that I would be I knew I would come in and, and be made president of the firm really didn't know what that meant. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, I knew we had had early discussions about ownership even before I came here that I would have some sort of ownership. And so those were those were exciting to me um, as a young guy coming coming in. Uh, I, I probably would would have been able to acquire some ownership at HLW, but HLW is such an enormous organization and such a, a long a long line of people in front of me. This was kind of you know skipping the line. Yeah. And again, it was what was most exciting was rather than title or even ownership, which I I frankly didn't quite ungrasp what that meant. Um, it was really the excitement of being able to build something here special and that I would have that ability to do that. And I will say from Tony and Dina allowed me to do that. And I, you know, there, I'm not going to say that it was smooth sailing since the moment I, I walked in because, and, but we didn't really butt heads. We certainly, you know, they saw things a certain way and I saw things a certain way. And, and I, I get that. And I'm sure, you know, 20 years from now, I'll have those same feelings towards people here. Um, but we, we really, they let me do what needed to be done. And I think that was, that was mostly changing the staff. You know, these are the, the, the wrong people here and then going after projects that they typically didn't go after. So Mancini, um, and I can get into this if you want, sort of the traditional Mancini. Yeah. I, I would love to, to provide a little bit of context of the firm because it's, sure. it's a 100 year old plus firm, right? Correct. So, so share a little bit about really briefly the history of it um, and then what it was like when you came in to the firm and then what what's the plan to, to sure. take it to, to the future? Yeah. So the firm is it's 105 years old now at this point. The, the roots of the firm trace their way back to a firm named Halsey McCormick and Helmer. So HMH, we call it. It's a grandfathered architectural corporation. Um, recognized by the Department of Education in New York State. So it's actually a very rare thing. So what that really means is that um, there, you can have a different ownership structure. You don't have to be a licensed architect to own Mancini Duffy. And so with that, um, Ralph wasn't a licensed architect, and so and nor was O'Neill Duffy. So the Mancini, neither of the Mancini or Duffy I never knew were, that. Were, were licensed architects. So Duffy had had purchased this, what we call the medallion, right? Like a taxi medallion, the yep. seal that gave him the ability to practice architecture. Ralph was, Ralph Mancini was doing his own thing with Mancini Associates. Someone put them together at some point um, in the in the early 80s. Uh, um, and that marriage together formed Mancini Duffy. And really what it was, was someone had told Ralph, you're doing all of this great work. You need to really up your game. You need, you need processes and procedures. And you're, instead of being this mom and pop shop, you need some technical people. And, and then Duffy was older at the time. And so that marriage came together. And I, obviously I think, I think uh, Duffy has been, has been deceased now for, for at least 15 years, it may be even more. Um, so Ralph moved into the World Trade Center and that is where they formed Mancini Duffy. And from there they took, they took financial clients and they really capitalized on the, the idea of corporate interiors and workplace interiors. They're one of the early firms that ultimately did that. And Ralph, you know, with his personality was able to start doing a lot of jobs that he probably wasn't qualified to do in the very beginning. So he 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 landed million square foot interior headquarters for, you know, very very large financial institutions. And one of them is KPMG, which is still a client today. I mean, they literally are a sixty year old client of ours. Um, and that that financial corporate interiors is what drove them, and that evolved into other types of interiors, obviously, but. By the time I got to Mancini, it was they were still financial interiors and law firms and really nothing else. I mean, sort of a very limited portfolio of types of workplace interiors. So Ralph and, and Duffy obviously build this firm. They build it to a couple hundred people uh, in the 80s and 90s, and it it it's thriving and it becomes really this very well-known and valued organization in New York City. 
um, focused on financial institutions and that that they rode that all the way through. The firm was uh, in the World Trade Center when 9-11 happened and and thankfully no one from the from the company uh, died. They had gone through a um, they'd gone through the bombing in the 90s and that what happened Tony Tony tells the story that when they were the bombing occurred they ended up having to be locked into their office and so and they were there for for a half a day and it was you know very disturbing obviously before cell phones all that stuff when 9/11 happened to Tony's credit he said you know obviously not knowing what was going on not knowing the tragedy that was about to occur uh, when the plane struck the other tower, he said, well, we got to get out of here because we're going to get locked in this office again. And, you know, we can't have that. It, it's going to be horrible. So to his credit, they all left. I mean, so they he all evacuated got, the whole office immediately as soon as he saw something yep. was happening. Interesting. Yeah. They just got on the elevator and they all left. And that was yeah. it. And then obviously everything else occurred. Um, but what really hurt the firm was the financial crisis, because again, as I've kind of built this story, they are still focused on financial corporate interiors. And so when the, the 2008 financial crisis hit, the firm really began to shrink. To shrink. Ralph had already left uh, and retired in 2007, so it was before that, uh, although he kept in touch with the firm. And so Tony and Dina kept the firm going for, for quite a while. It did build itself back up after the financial institution. Uh, a financial crisis, and I and I entered the picture around 2012, and that was really the goal was to begin to diversify the practice. And and since my expertise was in base building, architectural design, and I had done corporate interiors, but my corporate interiors was tech and media and hotels, um, and some residential. That's really where we begin to now spread our tentacles and start getting into a more diverse portfolio. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. As architecture demand increases toward pre-pandemic levels and beyond, how are you and your architecture firm keeping up? RCAT is here to help. RCAT.com offers several free tools to help architecture and design firms like yours get work done faster. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right products for your projects and download BIM, CAD, and specifications right there on the same page without needing to pay or register. It's free. RCAT.com also offers product videos, catalogs, green reports, product certification information, outline and short form specification generation, and so much more. Visit RCAT.com today. RCAT.com is your one-stop solution to help increase your productivity, and get more projects done faster. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with financial reports, communication, and notifications. My favorite feature in FreshBooks is the automated invoice reminders. I think sending invoices and getting paid is one of the biggest barriers to our success as entrepreneur architects. Who has the time? But if we don't send out the invoices, we don't get paid, right? FreshBooks makes it easy to send out your invoices and get paid fast online with a click of a button. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, FreshBooks will send them a friendly email reminder through a simple system that you control. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Go to entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So when you come in in 2012, you had you had mentioned earlier uh, in our story here that when you came in, the first thing you did was change the staff. Yep. So can you talk about that a little bit about about why you went right to the people? Yeah. So um, you know nothing 
nothing against those that were here. Yeah. And that's why I want to bring but, it up because, yeah. because it, it was probably a difficult thing to do. It was, you know, and there are some that had been here for a long time. And as I got to know people and kind of hear what they were about, you could tell people were jaded. There was, it wasn't the type of atmosphere. It wasn't the more entrepreneurial spirit that I was used to. It wasn't the um, positive, let's call it, attitude that um, I wanted around me ultimately. And and there, there were plenty that did have a great attitude and are still here. Um, but honestly, as we began to change the project types that we were doing, they also were less qualified to do that. They just didn't have the experience to do those types of projects. And it was hard you know, to come in and, and basically be the guy that says, well, unfortunately, you know, we're going to hire all these people, but we're going to let all these other people go. And, you know, ultimately it was for the better. Um, and, and we, you know, I'm not going to pretend that that wasn't a struggle at the time and especially people that had been here a long time, but you've got to, as the business owner and to move the business forward, you've got to make those tough decisions. And, and we did that. So when you came in, Christian, did you have a specific vision of where you wanted this, this firm to go? So, yes, coming in, I definitely had a vision for Mancini Duffy. And that vision was technology focused and changing the process in which we do design. So very early on, um, I, I really established a group here that was a young group that was interested in technology and interested in the ability to take that technology to improve the design process. And so what does that mean? It's automation, it's artificial intelligence, it's um, um, using scripting, it's connecting renderings real time to Revit. The office really wasn't very Revit savvy at the time. And I was able to get that office you know, quickly into Revit um, because I had done that before. Okay. And from there, we hired developers. We hired actually software programmers that began to look at our software and integrate all of these ideas into the software, uh, into our process. So we've changed our design process. You know, part of the the becoming an owner here was really how do we how do we become more profitable? Frankly, especially in the very competitive New York City interior design world, and the way that you do that is really by speeding along the process, or in our case, inviting the clients into the process, sort of opening the door and saying, hey, this is how we make the sausage. Let's come in here, come into your process, come, come into our process, come into our, our, our 3D model, and we're going to design with you. We're going to lead the design. We're going to show you it. Um, but we're not going to waste time on doing options that we know aren't going to work. We're not going to put together beautiful presentations for you that in the end, we're stopping designing a week early so that we can put together these presentations. We're going to bring you into the process and there's no need for a presentation because now we've connected Revit and the rendering and it's all happening real time and you're seeing it. And you can make those instant choices of, yes, I like that. No, I don't like that. Or, I do like that concept, but I, I don't see it being executed the way that, that you're describing. And we're able to do what a normal architect does in, in three weeks, we can do in three hours because of this tech, you know, this, the way we've essentially connected all of the technology. And so that was the vision. That was the vision from the very beginning was to find great people that had an entrepreneurial spirit that had a passion for technology and design and get that running sort of as a machine in a sense. Uh, and then everything else began to fall into place. And then I think the vision of uh, the entrepreneurial side of individuals here at the firm really kind of came out of that. So it sounds like when you came in that you had this idea of technology, but but really you looked at the firm and said, okay, here's what we have. This is where the firm was. This is where I'd like it to go. And so we basically have to start from scratch. We have to look at everything and say, okay, what needs to go and what do we need to do to get us to where we want to go? So you're essentially disrupting the entire process, right? Disrupting the, the practice of architecture for Mancini Duffy. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And so 
so you you have this vision of technology is going to change the way we practice architecture. You also and and um, understanding some of the the back backstory, you developed a software called Toolbelt. Is that is that the software that you're talking about in terms of having that integrated experience with your clients? Correct. Yeah, that is. So what that is is that is a, essentially a separate rendering and visualization engine, but it has a direct connection to Revit. So. I would describe it as this: we can have a we can have a virtual meeting, um, whether that is with you know a headset on and you're looking at it in actual proper VR, or we can have a Zoom call or a Teams call where there's all parties are logging into their model. So you're actually going into the Revit model, and Toolbelt is a set of tools, and we got the we got the idea from you. So when you look down in VR, you see tools like a tool belt. Right. below you. And from there, you're able to select those tools. And it's a completely interactive way of interacting with your Revit model. So you look down, you want to move something, you want to change the colors, the fabrics, the, the if it's a building, the exterior. Um, if you want, if you need certain data about it, you can click on it. It'll tell you the information in the Revit file, what it is, you know, how, how big that is. You can measure, you can leave notes. So we can have a completely virtual meeting inside a Revit model from anywhere in the world. Um, you, it's a little hokey, you, you log in and you see an avatar version of yourself. And once you get past the humor of that, which actually is a lot of fun, everyone can move independently of one another inside the Revit model. So you can go to the fourth floor, I can go to the basement and we can start critiquing and leaving notes and exploring, or we can pull everyone together and have an actual meeting. So we'd see each other on a screen. We'd also see each other virtually as an avatar but we're seeing the space and we're interacting with the space. And again, we've gotten away from the design presentation because it doesn't, we don't need that. We don't need to make sure that all the text is lined up and everything is perfect. Right. We, we now see inside that model and we're looking at the details and we're working out those details in real time. And there's no information lost along the way. Keeps a record for everything. We can record it. Um, and you could, you can, if you want, you know, kind of save it back to the Revit model and you are, you know, any changes you've made would be made would be saved. We we kind of disable that feature at this point because, you know, we, we end up messing around a little much. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, <laughs> you, you can make. And then people here that are very particular about their files and how it works, you don't want to you don't want to get on their bad side. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's but that's fascinating that it's essentially uh, a project meeting like you would have during construction, where all the team members would show up at the at the building and and some of them would be walking around the building and taking things to look at things before the meeting starts and then you assemble for the meeting and you have the meeting on site and you can point out things and that's how that's coming along and that's how that's coming along except the fact that it's not during construction it's Correct. during design phase. Correct. Yep. So now you're doing the same thing with the same benefits virtually and in real exactly. time. Exactly. Really interesting. And so so there's no need for presentations because the the client is fully immersed into the design process. Does that are there are there downsides to that having the client so involved in the design process like that? So there yes, we've, we so we're we're probably on now about our 50th or so project in this process. And some of them have been very large from um, Mars, the candy company, we did their you know, 250,000 square feet for them in Newark, New Jersey. And they were all in this process to some smaller, you know, 10,000 square foot suites and, and kind of anywhere in between. And what I will say is that um, we do give the clients the ability to log into their model at any time of the day or night that they want, right? I mean, that is our, our, our thing is we're an open process. Um, so you will get people that will log in and then really continue. It's almost like the changes will never stop at that point. Right. And so <laughs> we, we do want to, and, and also one of the things that we've, we've realized along the way is in the end, our design is important and the conceptual part of the design and what we're trying to achieve, not only for our own internal um, way that we see design working, but also for the client and the client's objectives. We need to steer the design. It's not, I don't want to, we, we have to be careful in these, in these processes that 
we're not sort of turning over the, the reins directly to the client because the client hired us as the professional to really design it and to lead that design. So there is a fine line and we've been able to, you know, limit certain options or maybe bring someone into the process super early on as a very whitewashed model and get away from exactly what the design is and then maybe using more of a traditional rendering approach to focus on certain areas. And then when those are agreed upon, we'll put them back in the, into the system. So we're, we're really trying to find that balance because as you can expect, you know, it could, number one, it could go on forever and it's honestly meant to shorten the process. Right. Um, and when I say shorten the process, it isn't as though, you know, we're, we're doing that three weeks worth of design in three hours. And then that means we're starting the project any sooner. But what it does mean is that we now have those three weeks to sit back and really work out some of the details and design it where, you know, this and uh, everyone listening that, that works in our, in our field knows the schedules are so, um, so rapid these days. I mean, you know, I, I can't tell you how many projects we start where the first meeting someone says, well, we're already behind schedule. Right. <laughs> and it's like, great, thanks. <laughs> so now we're playing catch up from day one. We were just awarded the project. So we've got to move that process along. We've got to make decisions along the way. We've got to hold clients and contractors and engineers all accountable as we go. And this process certainly does that. We get to consensus sooner, but now we can spend the, the scheduled time actually figuring it out as opposed to just moving on to the next thing. What does the future of Mancini Duffy look like? Five, five, ten years. I know ten years is a lot, pretty, pretty far into the distance when you're talking about technology. But what, what about five years from now? What does Mancini Duffy look like? So I, I think Mancini Duffy, from a from a corporate point of view or from a business point of view, is we are we are expanding and we're trying to move out of just the New York, New Jersey area into other markets. So we are actively looking to open up an office in Florida, in uh, in near around Nashville, in Austin, Texas. I mean, kind of, I think it's pretty obvious those are you know some areas where there's a lot going on. Um, but I think we can take our brand and our process and bring it to other cities. It sells very well outside. It sells well in New York City, but it also sells really well outside of New York City because we can do all of the technology and, and bring things um, and bring things to market faster. Uh, so I think from a from a business side, Mancini looks more national for sure in the next five years. Um, from a technology side, we are partnering with vendors. Um, we are partnering with contractors. And our goal is to deliver, is to stop doing construction documents altogether. And I would like to see us do that within the next five years so that we are doing, we are designing and building our Revit models to a certain level of detail, whether that's level four or five, um, and then essentially building directly from the model. Uh, no longer, you know, we'd probably in the next five years still have to do DOB sets and certain filing sets because that's not going to move as fast. Right. Yeah, that's but, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but dealing with the contractor, there are plenty of contractors that want to go this way as well. We put all of this effort into our 3D models. We design every little detail. And then, uh, you know, this, we, we basically flatten it out into a bunch of paper and print it out on a printer, whether that's a PDF or an actual piece of paper. And we give it to a contractor and say, okay, build this now. And we've just taken all of that knowledge and all of those details that we've worked and we've essentially just kind of gotten rid of them. <laughs> So can we deliver a project and a, and a significant project in, in Revit in real time? And one of the ways that we're doing this is through, again, virtual reality, projection mapping, AR, uh, and, and really working with the contractors directly to support this kind of delivery of a project. So imagine, you know, a blank office space and we're essentially projecting the construction documents um, as they would be built throughout the space and having the contractor work that way. So there are a lot of contractors that are on board with this. They think it's a great way of doing it. Some are even you know, probably well more advanced than we are. And then there's a lot, especially on some of the trade side that 
you know, have no desire to do this whatsoever. Right, right. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. But it really is, if I, had, if I had to sum it up, we want to automate the design and construction process in the next five years. Yeah. And, and there's no doubt that that's the future. It's just a matter of how soon that future arrives. And, it, and it's going to take leadership like Mancini Duffy partnering with contractors and owners who are all in on that idea uh, to show that it works and yep. do it successfully, become a financially successful firm, an architecturally designed successful firm. Um, and then others will say, oh, look at what they're doing. We're going to have to do that too. And, and, and that's the way the change will happen. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. <laughs> that's uh, the goal. Be before we wrap up, Christian, I want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody. We're talking to thousands of small firm architects, lots of small firm architect owners. Um, what's one thing that you could say that a small firm architect could do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Yeah, so I, I would say it's about finding people's passions within your firm. Uh, one of the things here that we've been able to do with the technology is it's really inspired a lot of young architects here to step up and say, you know what, I have this idea. Um, I have this idea whether it's going to contribute directly to the technology that we're developing, or I have this idea that is unrelated, but it's still a it's still an amazing idea. And for, for us here at the firm, it's about supporting those passions. So supporting it could very well be investing in it, right? And, and saying to uh, someone, okay, that's a, that's a great idea. I think it's got merit. I'd love you to take the leadership on it and we will support you. So we will take part of your billable hours and we will create a, a project number that you're going to spend X amount of your time, you know, developing this idea. And if, some piece of equipment or some other monetary thing is required, then we will support you. And we've had a lot of people come here and say, you know what, I want to start this. I want to start this practice area. I want to start this. Um, I want to, we, we had someone that, that decided we were doing a lot of co-working spaces and hotels. And she said, you know, nobody's decorating the inside of these rooms. I would love to start decorating them. It actually is my passion you know, sort of the, the interior design corporate side is just what I fell into, but I really like the decorating part. And we started a separate practice called MDLX. And that's what she does here. She has a, another person. It's a, actually a separate business. And we, we, you know, I technically Mancini owns half of it and she owns the other half and she procures and she finds everything in hotel rooms. Or if we're doing a space that requires some sort of final layer of design, she seeks that out and she's, it's amazing. The, the, some of the, some of the things that she's accomplished and, and sourced and um, she's very profitable in that respect, which is amazing. We had one guy here who he decided that his passion was airports and he would like to do uh, airport design. And, you know, Mancini Duffy, as I've said here, was really a corporate workplace firm. Uh, we definitely are doing more, more and more ground up buildings, but, he started small with, you know, back of house stuff. He got into doing the, you know, the behind the scenes where the luggage goes and pretty fascinating stuff. And that evolved. And then that became the, the lounges for American Airlines, which is right up our alley because it's hospitality and it's interiors. Uh, and now he's going after smaller airports, entire terminals. And that's just building. And he's, and he's done that in five years time. And he's got a staff that's dedicated to him. You know, he's a young guy, he, and but that that was his passion, and so you never know kind of who's lurking, you know, in your in your office that has ideas, and and our I say it probably once a month when we have our monthly gatherings, you know, anyone that has an idea, anyone that has a passion, you know, please come talk to me and and let's or talk to our partners, and and we we'd love to support you because it it that to me is the most exciting part of the firm is that we support people's ideas and a it's uh, you know it's great for the firm it's obviously good projects it's great for people personally um and it keeps everybody engaged and they know that there's kind of endless possibilities here yeah and that's very that's a very intentional decision to build a culture of collaboration and and give them the permission to bring ideas to you with the knowledge that you are going to listen 
and potentially support those ideas and allow you to focus on those ideas and, and build out those ideas. Yeah. There are a lot of firms that won't even listen to the, <laughs> to the idea, right? That, they, yeah. that this is how we do it. If you don't like the way we do it, go somewhere else. Yep. We're not interested in the, your ideas on how we can do it better. We've been doing it for 40 years, right? Um, <laughs> exactly. And, and so to create a culture like that, um, look at what has happened, right? When you, yep. when you intentionally create a culture like that and, and listen to the ideas and support the ideas and finance the ideas, they become new businesses that bring more yeah. revenue to the firm and, and provide new services and new opportunities for clients. Um, very interesting to, to hear you talk about that. Um, Christian Giordano is his name. Um, <laughs> Mancini Duffy is the firm. ManciniDuffy.com. If you want to go check out the website, ManciniDuffy.com. If you want to check out the tool belt, they have a website too. It's, is it available? Can other architects? Um, yes, you, you, there, is a, there, <laughs> there is a way to purchase it. Uh, you're basically going to go and, and log on, create an account. But what will happen is, you know, someone from my team will essentially, you know, email you back and, It'll and go kind of talk you talk you through the process at that yep. point. Yeah. So thetoolbelt.com, thetoolbelt.com if you're interested. Um, also, Christian does a great podcast, new podcast called The Anti-Architect Podcast. Very briefly, why anti-architect? So it's really just a critical look at, you know, the architecture profession. You know, how do our clients see us? How do we see our clients and how can we improve that process? Everything from whether it's a technology process or a communication process. And I'm trying to do similar to you is have on interesting guests that have a story to tell, but also want to be critical um, and not critical in a bad way. Yeah. Um, you're welcome to be critical in a bad way, but it really is more about what can we do to improve the profession as a whole? And it's been it's been a lot of fun and uh, and and very interesting to see some themes emerge as as it as it continues to roll out. Some encouraged disruption. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think that the name anti-architect is it makes you pay attention, right? Lifts you like, what is he talking about? <laughs> That's right. That was the that was the goal. <laughs> yeah. So go check it out. It's everywhere you can subscribe. Wherever you're listening to us right now, go search for the anti-architect podcast and subscribe. Christian, this has been a fantastic conversation. Super interesting to hear the background on Mancini Duffy and to see where it is today and where it's going to, to tomorrow. So thank you for coming on and being so honest and open and for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how Entree Architect Podcast will grow to serve thousands more architects just like you. Thanks to our sponsors, FreshBooks and RCAT for their support of this episode. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and Simple Systems, our business system program developed for you the small firm architect. It's all waiting for you at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA continuing education learning units. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends at entrearchitect.com slash join. Enroll today at entrearchitect.com slash join. Thanks for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging. 
the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.